0: We will be looking to Christmas starting next Lord's Day, so, but this gives us an opportunity to finish where we come to a section, if you will, finish a portion in the Gospel of John as we continue to think about the life and ministry of Christ. So a week from today, we're going to be talking about the birth of Christ in some way. Today, we're thinking about the purpose of all of that. We're, we're in the night before the crucifixion. Again, this uh, section, chapters 13 through 17, um, are often called the, the upper room discourse. Or chapter 17, not quite a discourse because that's more of a prayer. But chapters 13 to 16 are, if you will, the, um, the farewell me- message of Christ to his followers. Preparing them for the trauma of the next day. And I always think of our Lord's grace in that. He's going to bear the worst of the trauma. And yet he's thinking about what it's going to do for them. But he does know after the cross and even during the cross how the disciples are going to agonize. What now? What's for us to do? What will become of us? And so he's been giving them some counsel and direction. He's spoken especially that he's going to send another comforter or another counselor a paraclete in the holy spirit who will come alongside them and guide them and equip them and he, and he, we we we've talked about the ministry of the holy spirit quite a bit in the in this section of john and and that's where we are today as well last week we spoke about the uh, the ministry of the holy spirit in the world and today we're going to speak about the ministry of the holy spirit and the disciples. So, to get the context, I want to go back and read where we were last week, starting in John chapter 16. I'll read verses 5 uh, through um, 15, and that will give us the context. Our text today is verses 12 to 15. So, chapter five, 16, starting at verse 5, Jesus said, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness. Because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. However, when the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. So they haven't had to think that much about the Holy Spirit because Jesus has been with them. He has protected them. He has guided them. He has taught them. He has made the decisions throughout the day of where they were going and what they would do. He has, they have been there primarily as witnesses to his ministry of teaching and healing. They have themselves done some of that, been sent out to preach and teach, mainly as a way to prepare the way for the Lord to come. But now, he's he's preparing them for his departure. What next? We spoke last time about how the Holy Spirit would come and work through them to convict the world. But now he speaks of the Holy Spirit's ministry in them to teach and guide them. We see in verse 12, he says, just the first part there, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. His time of teaching the disciples is, is nearly over. Just a few more verses here. We'll finish chapter 16. Chapter 17 is instructive, but but that's his really talking to the Father in his prayer. Then there's the walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there are the last moments they have with the Lord. They spent it napping instead of praying, communing with him. But in other words, the, the teaching is nearly at an end, and yet he says there's so much more to tell you. And they've been there for three years. So often we look at that program and say, three years of teaching with the, the Lord, maybe that's why so many seminaries, their, their pastoral ministry uh, track of the MDiv, the Masters of Divinity, is usually a three-year program. Problem with that, it says, is that doesn't cover it. He says, there's still so much more to tell you. His time is gone, but he wants to teach them and at this point, he says, they can't handle what he has to say. That word, uh, he says, um, you cannot bear the things that he wants to teach. What does he mean by that? Well, the word bear has the idea of literally to carry. I believe it's used later on if he, to carry the cross. Or, or, for example, it's used of the man, remember when Jesus said, you go into the, the city and you'll see a man carrying a water pitcher. Um, it's used of one scene in Luke describes when they are carrying a coffin. So the idea of, of carrying, to lift. And he's saying you cannot, you cannot hold, you cannot carry what I, what I need to tell you. One of the questions that immediately pops into our mind is uh, why not? Why can't they carry it? Why can't they bear it? Why aren't they strong enough? I think the key is they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Pentecost is still ahead. The Holy Spirit has been working uh, around and through them, but, but he, he told them he's been with you, but not in you. That's coming soon. At Pentecost, a, a new beginning comes when, the God, when God the Holy Spirit will indwell believers permanently. They don't have that. And and that ministry and presence of the Holy Spirit within them is going to be vital for them to to receive and understand and obey and apply uh, what what God wants to teach them. We see this in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man, the man who is not yet born again and doesn't have the Holy Spirit, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And then John yeah, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul said to the church there, I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Even now you're still not able. And so we see it's the Holy Spirit who enables us um, to receive And to understand God's Word. I was trying to think of an illustration of that. You know, we have God's Word, but it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability, if you will, to see it and understand it. Without the Holy Spirit, when we read God's Word, it's like trying to read a book in a a dark room with no light. I thought about using that as an illustration, and then I realized in the current generation, that doesn't matter. Because when the book, nowadays, reading a book is on a device, right? You can just adjust the setting. Um, but for you older folks, you'll understand what I mean. When you're reading a book in a dark room, it doesn't work too well unless you know Braille and it's a Braille Bible. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the eyes to see, who puts the light on the word. And again, maybe hopefully all of you believers will Those who know Christ can think about your time. I so recall before I knew Christ and I was trying to figure out what my Christian friends were telling me about him. And I tried to read the Bible and it was just like beating my head against a brick wall. It just made no sense to me. And then I can remember after trusting Christ how excited I was that that little Gideon Testament all of a sudden was just coming alive. And as I was reading this verse and that I saw how it connected and made sense with others uh, it was just an adventure. I can remember sitting out in the hallway, you know, in, in, at the college and, and waiting for class to open. And I'd be just reading and just thrilling at, at all of the things I was seeing. So whereas before I was reading a book in a dark room, now all of a sudden the light was on. And so we, we see the, how urgent it is. And so if, if you have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the scriptures and all these things don't make sense to you, that's why. It's the Holy Spirit who helps you to see, understand, receive, apply God's word. And and, and these disciples, though they were believers, born again, yet without the Holy Spirit, there was only so much they could now receive. And Jesus had given them what they could receive. By the way, there's another. I think there's an application here, that that's important to re- recall. Is that when we're when we're helping, especially a young believer, or maybe sharing the gospel to someone who's yet to trust in Christ, we have to realize, uh, you know, you don't unload the whole package at once. You have to recognize: are they ready to carry this? It Reminds me of the story of Corey Ten Boom. One time, when she was uh, going. To the big city with her father uh, he was a, a jeweler and a watchmaker in particular and so he would go in I think on a weekly basis maybe monthly basis and he would get more parts and this sort of thing um, and carry them back to his shop and it was a and one time they were on the train and his and Corey asked him a question that was um, was not age appropriate and he just said to her um, that's you, you're not ready for that yet. And, and, and she said, well, why not? And, and his case was still on the ground, and he said, why don't you pick that up and put it up there? And she, tried, she couldn't budget and said, it's too heavy. He said, well, uh, what you're asking is you're not ready for it either. There'll come a time. And so recognizing, you know, when it, with, with, a, with a, a brand new believer, we don't necessarily hit them with a 12-volume systematic theology and say, read this, we'll talk next week. You know, we, we start introducing them to ideas and trying to be sensitive. Parents, the same way as you're teaching your children in all kinds of ways. And it doesn't even apply just to spiritual things. You know, you don't open your first classroom in mathematics with calculus. It helps if you know the numbers first. One, two, three. Um, And so maturity appropriate, whether it be physical maturity or spiritual maturity, to be sensitive to that. And Jesus is always the master teacher. And so he can recognize you're not ready for that. Um, That time is coming. And and part of that was just the the spiritual enabling. Now you notice Paul will even say in 1 Corinthians to the believers there, you're not not there spiritually yet. And so there's things I want to tell you. You're not ready for it. Remember the book of Hebrews, he'll even say the same, the, the author will say the same thing there. You're not ready for this. I've got to go back and and go over the basics again. And so Jesus says to his disciples, there's more you need to know, but it won't be until you have the Holy Spirit that you'll be able to know them. And so what he's telling them is there's more to come. Now there's some comfort in that because they're going to feel, what do we do with this? How do we, how, where do we go forward? And his whole point is that instruction is coming. Don't worry. You'll get that instruction at the right time. Well, verses 13 and 14 talk about that. When he says, however, uh, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you, things to come. And he said, so he began by saying, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all. And I'm going to add that word, the truth. In the Greek text, there's a the there that was just passed over. But I think it's important. He's not going to guide them into all, all truth. He's going to not lay out and be teaching them concepts of, of physics or astronomy Or geography or geology, he's going to be teaching them spiritual things. But all biblical truth, all spiritual truth, he's going to be the guide. When he comes, like I said, the Lord is nearly finished teaching them, but the Spirit will come and uh, take up part two in in instruction. Uh, Again, I want you to notice something about him. He's called the Spirit of Truth. We've already seen that label used of Jesus. He's also called a number of things in the Bible, but he's also called the Holy Spirit, but here he's called the Spirit of Truth. I think that's two things he's trying to tell us. First of all, his character. He He is truth. Everything he says, there is no lie within him. There is no deception. What a deception, what a contrast to the spirit of deception, to the liar and deceiver who is Satan. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. His character is truth. And so that's why falsehood, uh, deception in our lives grieves him because he's, he's the spirit of truth. But it also tells us he's the spirit of truth and, and, his, and his, a major part of his ministry is truth. Uh, he, he will reveal truth to the apostles. And so, so it is the Holy Spirit who who has worked in revealing the scriptures. When the Bible says that all scripture is God-breathed, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And Peter tells us how the Spirit would move along the prophets. And that's one of the the miracles of, of all time, is that God, the Holy Spirit, came on the human authors. He used their understanding, their intellect, their experiences... And he worked through them, So, but at every word they wrote was exactly God's word. So he is the spirit of truth. He reveals truth. He revealed truth to the prophets of the Old Testament, to Moses and the prophets. He revealed it to the disciples, those who wrote us our New Testament. He's the spirit of truth. He also is the spirit of truth in our day. He... Get, had in in, in the, the giving the Bible, that's the ministry of inspiration. But for us, the ministry of the spirit of truth is illumination. That's what we've been talking about where the disciples were not ready. The Holy Spirit gives us understanding. He illuminates. He interprets the scriptures to us. It's really helpful sometimes to have the author um, with you while you're reading a book. How wonderful to be able to ask him, what did you mean by that? Now, I did have a a couple of uh, semesters of organic chemistry, and the uh, professor wrote the book. I didn't find that helped me. (laughs) But, But... you know, but I remember even asking him, how do you even learn this stuff? And his, his answer was, well, you could try and understand how it all fits together. And I thought, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Or you could do what I did. Oh, good, an easier path. He said, just memorize everything. And with head down, I walked out of the room. <laughs> but, but but wouldn't it be wonderful if so many times when you're reading a book, and, and if you could just turn to the author right there and say, what did you mean, or tell me more about this? So the Holy Spirit helped. He, he guided the authors that wrote it guaranteeing every particle was exactly god's word and then he comes and sits with us and helps us understand it now again he knows what jesus knows age appropriate and that's why as we grow in christ it seems like that we can dip deeper and deeper into the word and haven't you discovered that you go back over scriptures you, you thought you really commanded a couple of years ago and it's like, I've never read this book before. I didn't see this. I didn't see that. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of truth. And you might remember, I'm also thinking when I say that, is in Hebrews or Ephesians chapter 6, when we talk about the armor of God, starting there in Ephesians 6.10 and following, we're told that the, the, the sword of the spirit is God's word. That's his instrument. That's his tool. God, the Holy Spirit, who inspired and directed the writings of the Bible, then likes to use that Bible in our lives to challenge us, to grow us, to comfort us. And it's the Holy Spirit who is the spirit of truth. Truth is his, his mission and his, and his equipment. Oh, before we leave, I just have to notice now here... We're gonna get, get into it just a little bit and, and stick with me. Now, one of the problems is you've been eating turkey for a week or so, and it has elements in turkey that makes you sleepy. But but but, but I'm gonna step into some grammar here for a minute, okay? When it says the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit He. And in doing so, he, the Lord Jesus violates the standards of grammar. In, in English, we have basically two grammatical nuances. It can, it's either we have a he or a she. We kind of have a neuter in we call something an it. But in, in, in Greek, there you have the masculine, the feminine, and the neuter are three separate types of words. And the law of grammar is, if you're referring to a a a noun that is masculine, then you have to use an adjective or pronoun that is masculine. So if I, uh, you know, one of the questions is, someone comes up and wants to pet our dog. What's his name? Uh, Her name is Macy. (laughs) You know, it's not technically appropriate to call her him. Have you ever? Talk, maybe talked with someone where English is not their first language and you can see them struggling on pronouns sometimes. Like my car, uh, she's not working. You know, and and, and, and you, know, you think in their language that might work. Um, I know I wrestled with that in languages. You, know, you sometimes stumble, wait a minute, I got my pronouns. And, and that's just one of the clues. This isn't my, my language. Um, well, Jesus takes, in other words, that norm of language, the word pneuma, Think of pneumatology, or you can think of pneumonia. Pneuma means breath or spirit. It's a neuter noun. But Jesus calls the pneuma, he. He uses a masculine pronoun to describe him. Why is that important? Well, Jesus knows his grammar. He's making a point. The Holy Spirit is not an energy. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. And this is vital to the understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity. We believe and affirm what the scripture teaches. There is only one God and he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The cults or religions that claim to be Christian but deny The gospel often denied the doctrine of the Trinity. They deny, for example, that Jesus is God, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they certainly denied that the Holy Spirit is God, taking him as just a force and energy. I think the Mormons would do the same. Well, Jesus, just in the way he uses the grammar here, makes a point for us. The Holy Spirit is a person. And so just... Jesus isn't leaving them a person in their presence with a force. Maybe like parents, you're you're leaving your kids um, for the weekend, and you say, "Don't worry, the electricity's still on." <laughs> that's not doing much for me. Um, but no, I'm leaving you with a babysitter. I'm leaving you with an uncle or an aunt that's going to be here. A person. And so Jesus is emphasizing, he, he will guide you into all truth. And again, I have to notice that word guide, that suggests progress, doesn't it? He's going to lead you in the way into into all the truth. It's going to be a growing process. Now, I, I should also mention that it's, I think it's, the context makes it clear. He's talking to the apostles. He's talking to these 11 disciples. Remember, Judas is already gone. And he's, making a, he, he's telling them this promise is specifically for them. Jesus has been with them. Now he's going to be gone. But someone will replace him, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to guide them into all truth. Now, with us, he's going to help us understand all truth, but he's going to guide them into all truth. And so what this is saying is after Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit is going to guide them and reveal to them truth that they were not ready or able to receive. Why is that important? What Jesus is telling them is the teaching is not over. The semester is about over. You're going to have about a 40-day break and then you're going to come back. We'll pick up there. I will have another teacher at then to pick it up. The instruction is going to continue. And God, the Holy Spirit... Will teach you all the truth you need. He's telling the apostles. What instruction is that? Well, you have it right in front of you. That's the New Testament. That's the New Testament. He had already promised this back in chapter 14, verse 26. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. So part of what he's going to do is he's going to um, do two things there, you notice. He's going to teach them all things, but he'll also remind them. So we might look at the Gospels and say, how did they remember that? How did they remember what he said? Well, for one thing, it's an oral culture. You know, they they didn't have Bibles they carried with them. They went in synagogue, they heard it read, and they memorized it they learned they knew well how to hear and remember but just to make sure the memory was right god the holy spirit would remind them of what jesus said an ongoing and continuing ministry so the gospels are a faithful record of what jesus did and said the holy spirit guarantees that but he also says he will teach you all things he will teach them beyond that and so we have the new testament is the record of what God the Holy Spirit taught the disciples. This explains the inspiration and the inerrancy and the authority of the Gospels. They're the record of of what Jesus promised here. But he also says he's gonna guide them into all truth. In other words, he's gonna teach them the significance of what he taught them. So not only will he remind them, remember, but Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's going to lay it out for them and explain it. So the rest of the New Testament is the continuing teaching of the Holy Spirit to the disciples. The Gospels reminding them what they already learned. The Epistles explaining what that all was about. It's been said in different ways, but I, I, I'll use an, an author I like sometimes to get the big picture of Bible books. Uh, Jay Sidlow Baxter, he wrote a Rather thick volume on called Explore the Book. In it, here's a couple of things he says The Old Testament cries, Behold, he comes. The Gospels emphasize, Behold, he dies. But the Acts follows on with, Behold, he lives. And the Epistles join in with, Behold, he saves. And the Apocalypse, that's the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse finalizes with the hallelujah chorus, behold, he reigns. There's a, I just, you just had a course in the Bible. <laughs> he comes. He uh, dies. He lives. He saves. He reigns. Uh, later on in the book, he goes on and says this. In the Gospels, speaking of Christ, in the Gospels, he is presented to the Jews. In the Acts, he is proclaimed to the world. In the Epistles, he is interpreted to the church. In the Apocalypse, he is glorified throughout the universe. Yes, our Bible is Christocentric. And if you want, I'll read that again just so you can get those words and and remember, not the whole thing, but at least, let me just say these words. The Gospels presented Christ. The acts proclaimed Christ. He's preached by the same disciples. In the epistles, he's interpreted. In the apocalypse, he's glorified. Have you ever noticed when you're reading your Gospels and and sometimes, is this person saved? Is this person saved? Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has saved you. But do you ever notice... Has, where, can you point me to the place in the gospels where Jesus says here it is I'm going to die for your sin on the cross rise from the dead and through that when you trust in me as savior you'll be forgiven and it's not quite that clear in the gospels is it well, I mean, we can see he talks about his death the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep what do you mean by that How do you, can you fill that in But they weren't ready for that. You know, if Jesus started off his ministry, guys, I want to call you. You're going to be my disciples. Let me tell you how it's going to turn. In three years, I'm going to be crucified. I'll rise from the dead, come back. And it's through, you know, if he'd laid that all out, they would have thought, I don't think I want to sign on to this. This is is your mission. You're going to come and die a brutal death and, and that's what's coming for us too. No, what did he say? I'll make you fishers of men. Come with me follow me. They weren't ready. So bit by bit, he builds it up. But even the full significance of the cross, it doesn't come until the Gospels. Think of the book of Romans. If you weren't clear on what the cross was about, just go over a couple pages to the book of Romans. Or even the resurrection, Paul has a whole chapter on the significance of the resurrection for Christ and for us. Past, present, future. So Christ is proclaimed in the Acts. He is, he's described, he's shown to us in the, he's presented in the Gospels, but he's interpreted in the Epistles. Now, Again, why is that significant? You will hear people, maybe you've said it, you'll especially hear this from unbelieving or, you know, uh, Bible teachers, unbelieving religious authorities, sometimes they will say, well, I, I like the words of Jesus. I believe the, 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 the message of Jesus, but, but not, not what those apostles said. I wanna believe Jesus, not the apostles. And that, that kinda of sounds okay. Or maybe, and, and there's a phrase people, I hear it even more today. I'm a red letter Christian. I hate to tell you this, but when they wrote it down, it was all black. <laughs> but but I, what do they mean by that? I follow Jesus, not those other guys. Do you see what Jesus is telling the other guys? As I taught you, I am sending the Holy Spirit who is also God and he will continue what I did not finish. Jesus here is endorsing the New Testament. The Gospels, Acts, the Epistles, Revelation are the fruit of that promise. And so when someone says, I'll take the red letters, thank you. Forget, I don't don't like Paul. We don't have to like Paul, but we have to receive and believe the message God the Holy Spirit gave through him. And here's, that's the point. Jesus, Jesus, in red, it's in red letters, (laughs) says, this isn't the whole message, but I've got that covered. I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and He is the Spirit of truth. He is God who brings truth, reveals truth. He is going to finish the message. That is our New Testament. And so if I say I'm not going to believe the epistles, I'm just going to go with the red letter. And look, my, I've got a red letter here. Um, I'm not going to, be- I'm only going to believe the red letters. You know what we're doing? We're disobeying those red letters. Because Jesus, Jesus said in red letters, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the rest of the story. Well, that sounds like a great phrase. I could do a radio program on that. But, but, do you, but do you, so in other words, you cannot divide Jesus from the apostles. Jesus would have nothing to do with that. He gave the apostles and he gave them the Holy Spirit. Well, how do I know they got it right? Because Jesus promised they would. And he gave them the enabling to do it, the Holy Spirit. So, are we clear on this? Well, You'll hear these kind of things. We're getting into a religious season and you're going to hear people talk all kinds of things about what happened at Christmas and what didn't happen at Christmas. And there might be those that will say, well, I believe in Jesus, but not those other guys. That's not an option. And and here is where Jesus made it clear. Well, going on in verse 13, he, he says... Of the Holy Spirit, he will not speak on his own authority or on his own, literally. You notice in my translation, I've got the word authority, and that's in italics. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Wait a minute, does that mean he's not God? He can only tell us what he hears? Isn't that exactly what Jesus said? I, I, I tell you, I don't speak from myself, I speak what my Father tells me. What he's saying is he's not acting independently of the Trinity. His message is to be trusted because he, like Jesus, faithfully speaks the message he's given. So there's not going to be a problem of, of, of Jesus and the Holy Spirit conflicting. You know, sometimes we, we'll, we'll read, boy, my favorite author here, my favorite preacher, he says this. Oh no, my other favorite preacher says that. Well, that happens. And I've often told you, not only do, not, do I not agree with any author completely, I don't agree with myself all the time. God never gets it wrong. I, I may have shared with you, I remember being in a class with Dr. Rari who wrote us a, a study Bible. It, took, it was an eight-year project. For, and, of course, the first thing, you know, the publishers said, we're not going to wait for the whole thing. Give us the New Testament first. And so they had the Rari Study Bible New Testament. Eight years later, he's coming out with the Old Testament. And he was just, it would keep him awake at night. He would go over and over the notes to see if he contradicted himself anywhere. Now here's one man over eight years. And he's worried about contradicting himself. God the Holy Spirit could move the prophets and apostles. So that over 1,500 years, over 40 authors... Three different languages don't contradict ever. God, the Holy Spirit, makes sure it's right. And so he's saying he, the Holy Spirit is not going to speak independently. The, the Trinity is together on this. And, and just to show you the significance of that statement, it, there's a contrast with Satan in, back in chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus said this, You are of your father the devil, speaking to the Pharisees, and religious leaders and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own. See the difference? The Holy Spirit does not speak from his own. He speaks for the Trinity and he is truth. He is the spirit of truth. Satan there's no truth in him. And he only speaks according to his character. The Holy Spirit speaks according to the Trinity. So Jesus is giving his full endorsement. What he says, believe it. Believe it. Notice there's something else that goes on. He says in verse 13, he will not speak his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. That sounds to me there. He's promising prophecy. The Holy Spirit will be telling you about future things as well. He's going to he's so he's going to be, he's going to give us historical things. He's going to remind them of everything Jesus said and did so they get it exactly, perfectly right. He's going to teach them all things and that might be the, the, explaining it all. That, you know, What is the significance of the cross? There's the epistles. But also within the epistles, Romans 11, 1 Corinthians 15, the Thessalonian epistles, Revelation, there's prophecy. And the Holy Spirit will teach them that as well. Things to come. Some of you might remember that there's a, Dr. Pentecost from Dallas Seminary wrote a, a very thick and highly footnoted book on, that was kind of like for many years the source on Bible prophecy and he gave it the very creative title Things to Come Plagiarist He stole it right out of the red letters um, well he, he, Actually in, in his preface he quotes, uh, he quotes this verse But so, so in other words Jesus has got it covered He's going to give historical prophetical and doctrinal all wrapped together The Holy Spirit will give us our New Testament. Verse 14, it speaks further. And he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. This verse underscores the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Christ. The Holy Spirit did not die for us. Christ did. The Holy Spirit did not rise from the dead. Christ did. The Holy Spirit will not sit on the throne of David and rule this earth. Christ will. Christ is the focus of God's kindness and grace to us. And so the Holy Spirit will speak of Christ, not himself. He wants Christ to get the glory. But notice it says here, He will glorify me. Here again, we see Christ claiming deity. If I told you the Holy Spirit's ministry, the goal of his ministry was to glorify me, what would you say to that? Hopefully nothing. You'd be too busy getting in your car. <laughs> he didn't come to glorify me or you. We get that confused sometimes. He came to glorify Christ. And as I say that, I'm, that this is a claim to deity. A couple of passages come to mind. Isaiah chapter 42.8. Isaiah forty-two, eight. We read I am the Lord that is my name my glory I will not give to another nor my praise to carved images Isaiah 48:11 Isaiah 48:11 God says for my own sake for my own sake I will do it for how should my name be profaned and I will not give my glory to another and yet Jesus says the Holy Spirit will give him glory because he's God he's not another from the God of the Bible he is the God of the Bible the Holy Spirit's ministry points us to Christ just if you wanted to do a little extra reading this afternoon or evening you could look at Romans chapter 8 Romans chapter 8 it is full of the Holy Spirit and yet it's right in the middle of the great book of the gospel that's speaking about how the Holy Spirit works by pointing people to Christ. In fact, even though it's a chapter that talks, it's, it's often considered the most Holy Spirit-centered chapter of the scriptures. How does it begin? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Um, and, and then he says, there's nothing will separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus our lord so in other words if you go through the greatest holy spirit section of scripture it's all about christ and that's the way the holy spirit wants us he wants it. he wants it to be about christ well verse 15 then we see the trinity and the truth all things that the father has are mine therefore i said he will take of mine. the holy spirit will take of mine and declare it to you That word declare is three times in, 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 in our passage. And the word declare has the idea of um, to recount, to repeat, to report. It's used in those different ways throughout the Greek world at the time. In other words, something you've heard, you bring to others. The Holy Spirit's job will be to declare the message from God the Father. Again, Jesus says what? All things that our Father has are mine. How can he claim that? Because he's God. And so Jesus can claim that. He wants us to know his cross is not a diminishment of his glory. He is God and he has all the glory. And he wants us to know that the Holy Spirit will tell more about him to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And he wants them to, to know that there are three years of instruction just laid the groundwork as well as could be done without the indwelling Holy Spirit. But once the Holy Spirit comes, then comes the revelations that give us our New Testament. As he leaves them, he's giving them messages of encouragement. So these are comforting words. Instead of saying, um, you're all alone when I'm gone. He said, Don't worry, another teacher will be there. That's like maybe telling someone, I want you to go down to the, the bank or the store and I want you to deal with this down there. And you get in the car and think, Well, how am I going to know? Well, don't worry, there's a GPS. Use your phone. In other words, I'm not leaving you without instruction. And notice what he's telling them. The assumed, by the way, instruction. He says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who will teach you. What is the assumption is? Listen to him. Listen to him. He speaks for Christ. And so when the Holy Spirit is guiding them, they remember Jesus told us. That's why he's here. He's telling us this truth. Now, again, while this message is all about how we get our New Testament, the Holy Spirit's ministry in revealing truth perfectly, infallibly, without error, without conflict. But it also, there's a hint in here that this, to remind us that the same Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to understand. As the indwelling Holy Spirit was necessary for them to receive the truth, so the indwelling Holy Spirit helps us to understand the truth. And that's what Paul was saying back in 1 Corinthians. He gives us not revelation now, but illumination. The one who wrote it through the apostles explains it to us. Speaking of such issues, I have to see see what Mr. Spurgeon says. And he says this The rock of God's word does not shift like the quicksand of modern scientific theology. One said to his minister, my dear sir, surely you ought to adjust your beliefs to the progress of science. Isn't that interesting? In the late 1800s, they're already wrestling with that. Why don't you keep up to date with science, he says. Yes, said the minister, but I've had not time to do it today for I have not yet read the morning papers. One would need to read the morning papers and take in every new edition to know whereabout scientific theology now stands. For it's always chopping and changing. The only thing that is certain about the false science of this age is that it will soon be disproved. Have you noticed that? Follow the science. But it keeps changing direction. And so, that, so there's a reminder the scripture does not change. A.W. Pink said this, the more one really studies the Bible, the more one is convinced that behind the many human mouths, there was one overruling, controlling mind. Imagine 40 persons of different nationalities possessing various degrees of musical culture, visiting the organ of some cathedral and at long intervals of time, without any collusion, whatever, striking 66 different notes which when combined yielded the theme of the grandest oratory ever heard. Would it not show that behind these 40 different men there was one presiding man, one great tone master? As we listen to some great orchestra with an immense variety of instruments playing their different parts, but producing melody and harmony, we realize that at the back of these many musicians, there is the personality and genius of the composer. When we enter the halls of the Divine Academy and listen to the heavenly choir singing the song of redemption, all in perfect accord and unison, we know that it is God himself who has written the music and put this song in their mouths. And so this passage was meant to comfort and direct the apostles, but boy, it gives comfort to us. Because Jesus says, Before the first letter is written down, he's giving us the New Testament. He's sending the Holy Spirit to make sure we get exactly God's message. Can I trust it? Can I trust Jesus? Because Jesus made a promise. And Jesus promised also that if we trust in him, we would have eternal life. Have you yet trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior? Do you know him as Savior? Have you received the gift of forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ? If you have yet to believe, then our prayer and urging to you is that you will come to know Christ as Savior. For those of us who know him, are we clear? God's word. Jesus promised it. Jesus believed it. He wants us to trust it, study it, understand it by His help, and obey it for His glory. Our Father, we thank you that you didn't leave the disciples orphans, nor did you leave us without your help. Thank you for this, your word. And Father, thank you for the Spirit of truth who guided the writing of this word and guides us in understanding the reading of the word and the living of the word. May we be faithful followers of Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name.